Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Joint Venture Podcast. My name is Oliver Carr and I am joined this week by our senior reporter, Zachary Skidmore. Hello, Oliver. And by our energy and infrastructure analyst, Jen Bachindu. Hey, Oliver. Happy to be here. As we mentioned on the last podcast, we are pleased to announce the release of our latest market research report, the European PPA Outlook, authored by our very own Chandra, and we are going to be going into the findings of this report very soon. However, as usual, we're going to start with the news. So, Zach, it's been a busy week. What have you found? There were two big stories in the solar space this week. The first being an announcement made by Canadian Solar, who are set to develop a 685 megawatt portfolio in Spain. The portfolio is going to be spread across six sites in the Andalusia and Castilla de Leon regions, with construction expected to start next year and grid connection before the end of 2025. The new capacity will join a further two gigawatts that the company is developing across Spain. Zach, give us some background on what's been going on more generally in that Spanish solar market. So Spain is set to be a key growth engine of solar within the EU. It's expected to install four gigawatts of solar capacity in 2023 and has the largest solar pipeline in the EU. Between 2022 and 2025, it's set to install 19 gigawatts of new capacity. Spain actually has the highest solar yields across Europe, with the country's strong market fundamentals making it a very attractive market for renewable energy power purchase agreements. I'm sure Chen will go into that later. However, the EU's permitting process is is very long and arduous, often taking around five years to complete, compared to less than one for construction of the actual site. This is indicative of the fact that less than one-fifth of the projects in Spain's permitting queue earlier this year had received environmental and construction permits. Additionally, developers are often not given a reliable date for authorization, which disrupts project schedules. Spain's government <clears throat> has begun to combat this. They've implemented new planning rules, which came into force in March, that shorten the permitting process for projects of capacity below 150 megawatts that have low to medium impact on the environment. The new rules in place until 2024 could actually half the time it takes to receive permits to around two years, but the benefits really depend on the stage and capacity of the project. Well, all good reasons to keep a close eye on that Spanish market to see if those cuts to permitting time make uh, a large effect on the deal flow there. Um, moving on from Spain, uh, elsewhere in Europe, we've seen more solar activity. So there was actually a project finance close for one of the largest Italian PV portfolios. This was completed by the European Investment Bank, Credit Argyle Corporate, and Naxis Corporate and Investing Banking, the borrower being Rendon Solar. So this financing will be for the construction and operation of up to 26 solar power plants, with a total installed capacity of up to 255 megawatts across the Italian peninsula. 11 of the sites will be built in the country south, 8 in the north, and 7 in the central belt. The plants are expected to become operational by 2025, with the borrower Rendon Solar fully owning the portfolio. Rendon themselves will construct most of the plants on industrial land, benefiting from the incentive tariff under Italy's FER1 decree, with the remaining plants built on agricultural land and expected to be tied to long power purchase agreements. Once again, a topic we'll be coming back to. So what have you been hearing from people in the Italian market about these kind of projects? So um, the market says that this deal is indicative of a pattern of growth within the Italian solar industry generally. 
According to industry experts, Italy is poised for exponential growth over the next two years, with the expectation that installed capacity should double year by year. Authorizations for solar installations have actually reached 3.3 gigawatts in the January to October period, with industrial installations growing at the fastest pace, followed by ground mount solar installations. The southern regions of Sicily and Apulia are earmarked as having the highest potential and demand. However, for the industry to truly develop, connections, authorizations, building rules and finance are needed for the industry to actually exploit its potential. With the assessment of the new government generally mixed in their perspective towards the solar industry. So, moving on to PPAs, it's not just been solar developments, we've seen uh, PPAs being signed this week. Yeah, I thought it would be very interesting to highlight a few PPAs that have been signed in the last week, given that Chen was here to talk about his report. The first um, one I'd like to highlight is between Statcraft and CMC, who inked two PPAs within Poland. CMC is the commercial metals company, and they're actually enhancing a previous agreement by signing a second and third long-term power purchase agreement, which will last from 2025 to 2034. Together, these three PPAs will account for up to 400 gigawatts hours annually. And talking directly with Statcraft, we learned that they consider these 10-year contracts as a sweet spot for developers and corporates, matching the needs for both sides. The second PPA I'd like to highlight was between Sonodex and Endesa, who signed a 12-year renewable energy power purchase agreement. The green energy will be produced by a 77-megawatt solar PV portfolio acquired by Sonodex in July 2021, comprised of five solar plants located across Spain. Finally, again in Spain, Equinix Equinix announced the addition of five new long-term power purchase agreements, totaling 225 megawatts. The projects will reach operational status by 2025. By that time, they're expected to generate enough power to match consumption at Equinex's data centers in Madrid, Barcelona, and Seville. The five new and existing projects will bring Equinix contracted PPA capacity to 595 megawatts globally. Thank you very much, Zach. My pleasure. So, as we could tell from the news, it's been a busy week, and it's always, it seems, a busy week in signing PPAs across the industry. Staying on top of all of that is a big job, and so we have Chenva with us here, who is keeping a close eye on the market, and, as we mentioned, has just released a market research report. Chenva, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Oliver. And, yeah, as you said, it's been a very exciting week for us with the release of this report. It's been a lot of work from the whole team as uh, at large, um, and we're all very excited um, for the market to receive this report and to talk about it today. It was a nice segue from Zach talking about all the PPAs that have happened recently. Um, and, you know, it's very interesting to see um, the sort of trends we've already noticed and noted in our report come through, uh, most notably that of Statcraft mentioning that 10-year length being a sweet spot. Just one of the key insights we've noticed in the report, which we'll go into later, is about how PPAs are shortening to match both buyers' and sellers' demands. Um, and this is one way PPAs are adapting to those changing demands, as well as flexibility of offtake. You know, a lot of buyers and sellers are wanting to be more flexible with their assets. So I think um, we'll come around to the outlook at the end, but just for a introduction for people who perhaps aren't as all over the market as uh, you are, um, can you give us some background in the Power Purchase Agreement the PPA, what uh, trends were prevalent in the market last year and what's kind of the background picture that we're dealing with? To serve as a bit of a background, I'll go all the way back to 2021, actually. 
2021 was a huge year for PP activity, the largest we've recorded, with capacity reaching 11 gigawatts. But in 2022, that slightly dipped to around 9 gigawatts. And that was somewhat surprising because a lot of industry players expected 2022 to be quite the bumper year and surpassed 2021's capacity. But that didn't happen. What happened instead um, was the number of deals rose quite significantly to about 160 from about 100. And that's because a lot of deals being signed were for less than 50 megawatts and less than 10 years. So we have a string of smaller deals and shorter deals. Um, and that sort of hurt the the total capacity being signed. So we had something of a market dip where the size of each of these projects were was shrinking, but the number was uh, still increasing. So maybe to explain that difference, we should look into the sort of profiles of these buyers and the sellers. So who is selling this power and who is purchasing this power? And what can the research you've done tell us about these kind of players? Before I jump into that, I think it's also worth mentioning that overall renewable capacity hasn't gone down. In fact, what's become more popular is to have your project um, be exposed to the merchant markets and sell directly to day head markets and on the spot market. Um, and that's what we've seen. So PPA contracts um, are leaving room for merchant exposure. And that's sort of a symptom of how projects are becoming fairly large these days. It's very mm-hmm. difficult to have a PPA um, that covers 100% of the output of a project. And as such, it's become more expected to have some sort of merchant exposure. And this has increased ever so slightly every year, especially in 2022 with high energy, high energy prices. Okay, so the high prices of the market last year were leading people to be more comfortable with merchant selling power on the grid rather than signing these individual PPAs with consumers at a steady rate. But as I say, who were these buyers and who were these sellers? Um, as we noticed as well in 2021, the most populous group of buyers are the manufacturers, the companies with high exposure to electricity prices themselves, who want a good deal for, for their electricity um, on a long-term basis. So we see a lot of steel manufacturers, aluminium manufacturers, cement, and so on, um, driving the long-term uh, PPA market. So PPAs um, uh, with 10 years of 20 years or more, 15 years or more, um, for very large volumes. However, other demographics are becoming much more popular. So we see a lot of finance firms, um, a lot of food and beverage firms, and various utilities now coming into the play, signing PPAs um, for shorter lengths and with a bit more flexibility. So we're seeing a lot of projects with merchant heads to allow developers to capture the up- upside of these high energy prices. And we're seeing a lot of virtual PPAs. Um, So we're seeing a lot of buyers in different geographies uh, buying electricity from uh, using cross-border PPAs, utilizing the virtual PPA agreement. Um, And as such, we've seen a rise of of, um, data centers popping up with new PPAs and finance firms um, offsetting their carbon um, emissions uh, with their IT usage with PPAs as well. So Chen, who, who are the top buyers and sellers? I'd just go through the top two buyers and top two sellers, um, and this should uh, bode well for the discussion we just had about um, the demographic of buyers and sellers. So our top buyer was Alcoa from Spain, um, and they signed very massive baseload, two very massive baseload PPAs last year for a smelter that they have in Spain. 
Um, and this is a very interesting story because the smelter was closed down recently because it was too expensive to run. But with these PPAs, they got a better deal and are able to run it on renewable power um, at a better price. And secondly, we have Microsoft, who signed a slew of PPAs for their data centers all across all, all across Europe. Um, so we can see our top two is uh, consists of one manufacturer and one technology firm. And that trend is seen throughout the buyers list. Um, in terms of sellers, um, just to avoid re- repeating myself, because the top seller is Endesa, who well, sold this majority of power to Alcoa in that massive baseload deal. Uh, but I'll start from second and discuss third. So second is StatCraft, and StatCraft pops up all the time, as Zach would know. They're very busy in the PPA market mm-hmm. um, as one of the top producers of renewable power across Europe. So that's not a surprise here as a utility as such, providing power. And next is Eneco from um, the Netherlands, uh, who is very much similar to StatCraft, but uh, focusing on the Dutch market itself. And the Dutch market is very good with offshore wind. And offshore wind projects have become very, very large. And as such, Eneco has been able to sign very large um, deals uh, with manufacturers in Germany and Belgium and in, in the Netherlands itself. So they've taken advantage of geography. So StatCraft there, obviously, um, Scandinavia based but operating across all of Europe. But Scandinavia is, I think, one of the key markets, uh, or some of the Scandinavian markets are key to the development of PPA. Can you put some of these uh, different markets relative to each other in some kind of context? I think that... Uh, Part of the report was a uh, ranking of top PPA markets. So um, where is uh, really jumping ahead? Yeah, so we did a similar review last year. Um, and this year we've noticed some movement. And it's been very interesting to see where PPAs are being signed. So Spain has come out on top. And that's very evident, especially after hearing um, Zach's news review. There's a lot of deals going on in Spain because Spain is excellent for solar and the yield is so good in Spain. It's very good to get a good return on investment in that country. Um, the UK second, showing a slight dip from last year. It was first, according to our, our, our review last year. Um, Germany moved up one spot to third. But interestingly, um, Poland moved up eight spots to fourth. And Finland is now fifth. But it's also interesting to note that the rest of the Scandinavian countries are right behind, right behind Finland. So Scandinavia as a whole is very important to the European PPA market. So let's can we, let's have a look at that Polish figure then, because that's, uh, I think, surprised a lot of uh, us. Talk us through exactly how Poland jumped up the rankings. Yes, so, you know, speaking to the market, we understand that there is a rush for Eastern European land. Um, it's desirable in that if you're there first, you get to have the most desirable land with the best resources. Um, and you will be able to get a good return of investment on your project. And on top of that, um, Nordpool Central Region has just rolled out flow-based market coupling or nodal pricing. And this essentially um, is a market design that has been talked about for a long time in Europe and also being talked about in the UK. But this allows developers, electricity buyers and sellers, everyone in the electricity market to have an overview of uh, grid constraints and grid efficiencies in real time. And for those people looking to develop uh, projects, they can see where inefficient generation is and where grid constraints are and have a better idea of where to locate their projects Mm -hmm. um, in the most efficient way possible. And 
what we see with this new flow-based market coupling is that a lot of the inefficient generation is located in Poland. It's come to a point where their decarbonization is more or less inevitable because the attractiveness of putting your renewable project in a place where there is inefficient generation means that your power will be dispatched ahead of the inefficient generation. And so that is attractive for um, many individuals. And as such, Poland and the other Eastern European countries have jumped up quite significantly. To learn more about nodal pricing, there are a few good pieces on the Inspiratio website that uh, we can link to in the show notes to uh, give some more detail on those kind of markets. That's Poland and a little insight into the Eastern European market, but let's talk about Spain. It's, as Zach demonstrated today, always in the news. There's these huge offtake selling agreements around solar plants and uh, the iron and steel industry. What's making that market so attractive? So it's, it's Spain is Spain is an interesting market because um, the government is sort of a nail in the foot for developers uh, because the regulation is usually really slow and comes as, as a surprise to everyone in the market. But as Zach pointed out, Spanish solar developments have the highest yield in, in Europe and that is attractive. Um, another point that is um, a nail in the foot for developers and players in the electricity game in Spain is that of permitting and grid connection. So Zach did point that out recently. And Spain has moved to a somewhat of a first-come, first-serve um, grid auction type um, arrangement to, to grid connection. So um, essentially this in- incentivizes developers to build their projects much quicker, um, which they're more than happy to do. But um, this does stress some individuals. Uh, because they're having to spend money on permitting and research while spending money on construction at the same time to get that grid connection. But the prospect of of high yields um, and the prospect of selling directly on uh, to the market on a merchant basis in Spain is very attractive. And as such, they are the top market. So being knocked off that top spot from last year, we have the UK. So is this a question of the UK falling behind or Spain just jumping ahead? Uh, This is a question of the UK falling behind. What's happened in the UK is that um, we have the low carbon contract company very, very good at rolling out CFDs. And that, in effect, has had a hit on the corporate market um, because now a lot more renewable capacity has gone towards the CFD and there's less available for the corporate PPA market. And as such, um, uh, the UK has been knocked off its top spot. it's not a problem. It's actually it actually shows how efficient um, and highly sought after the UK CFD is um, that corporate PPS have have been diminished because of it. Um, despite that, though, um, there is a large appetite for um, corporate PPS in the UK. Um, various manufacturers, various data centers, uh, various technology and finance firms have have been eager to to to, to get on onto the. PPA train, as it were. Various individuals have been (laughs) willing to get onto the PPA train. Yeah, the story of the PPA seems to be almost synonymous at this point with the story of data centers. Those two things are going very much hand in hand in uh, the UK market. Plenty of those data centers opening in Ireland too. Well, what about the other top markets before we wrap up talking about countries? So the other markets we haven't discussed are Germany and Finland. Um, They're also very interesting for very different reasons. Um, But we've discussed this at length. 
um, in our report. And um, I don't want to risk um, going over time on this podcast, despite the fact that I'm having a very good time here. Um, so if you'd like to read more and uh, find out what we've found, uh, please do download our report. Very smooth plug. Thank you, Chendwa. And uh, yes, that report will be linked in the show notes for anyone, not just Inspiration subscribers this time, to download. Let's just wrap up by talking about where the PPA market is heading in the future. Chandra, you've spent a lot of time thinking about the outlook of the market. What conclusions have you come to? So the first conclusion that we've come to um, is springs off of our subsidy-free renewables event from last year. Um, we had various panels talking about the need and the desire for flexibility of offtake. And what that means is that buyers and sellers um, have the freedom not to be locked into a deal for 15, 20 years, but have the ability to um, exit and renegotiate at some point in the near future. Um, so what we're seeing are shorter PPAs, five-year PPAs, three-year PPAs, 10-year PPAs, um, that are more closely linked to electricity prices in today's market and uh, after the end of that tenure can be renegotiated for electricity markets at that time for a more fair deal. On the seller side of things, we're seeing now the merchant head trend as opposed to merchant tail, where a lot of developers are now wanting to capture the upside of these high energy prices in the meantime and have signed PPAs that start in the near future in the next year or two. And just a note on baseload PPAs. It's my personal opinion um, that there was a lot of talk about baseload being dead last year. Of course, high energy prices make it very difficult for baseload PPAs to remain an attractive prospect. But I believe that is a function of um, how well one is able to calculate their production from an asset. And if that's done properly, I believe a base of PPA can still be achieved, even in this market, as we've seen with Alcoa and various others in the German market. Um, so saying base load is dead is slightly inaccurate, in my opinion. Um, it's more difficult, but definitely not dead, and will definitely come back in the future. A note of caution there not to disregard one of the most popular options for PPAs. In the report, you also highlighted the uh, trend of consortium PPAs and the grouping of buyers in the market for greater impact. I wonder if you could sort of explain that concept a little bit more. So this is one of the more interesting outlook points that we have. Inspiration has been discussing this for about a year now. Um, most notably when uh, we sat down with uh, various industry professionals, um, Chris Bowden, Adam Clark and Tim Foster, and discussed how the PPA market can innovate um, early last year. One of the points that was brought up as a way to make PPAs more attractive is to group buyers to allow a wider demographic of buyers access to the corporate PPA market. Because as of now, what we see is a lot of one-to-one -one deals. Uh, companies with the largest balance sheets are sort of the only ones able to do these long-term high-volume PPA deals. Uh, but when it comes to the middle market, that may not be the case. And sort of grouping um, buyers together allows a lot more companies to participate in the PPA market and allows them to decarbonize their activities as well. So it's essentially a win-win situation. And we've been saying this now for almost a year and have we started to see that uh, materialize? 
So yeah, that's that's an interesting point. Um, and it's for this reason why our top PPA deal for um, last year was Voltalia's consortium PPA, because we believe this is one of the more interesting points um, that has begun popping up in the market and will become more popular in the market going forward. We've also seen previous deals in Finland and in the UK, um, so we expect more of this to happen in the future as well. And to end, Oliver, I'll actually swing over to you because you were an important contributor to this piece. Um, And as our resident hydrogen expert, you yourself have noticed um, that there is now a market for PPAs linked to hydrogen projects. And before you go into this, um, I will note that in 2021, there was a massive PPA deal um, in Ireland for a green hydrogen project. That is one of our outlook points. Do you mind talking a bit more about no, that? No, uh, very happy to. So listeners of the podcast will have heard me talk about this a little bit before. But the at, yes, at the time we covered the, um, the hydrogen PPA in Ireland and we saw that as a potential first step towards a future where sellers in the market are looking at hydrogen as a safe investment of the future, particularly in areas where you have the risk of curtailing renewable energy production. But in the last few weeks, we've been talking about the changes in rules in the EU, really pushing those green fuels and green hydrogen projects forward. And under the changes of rules to what are considered renewable, liquid and gaseous transport fuels of non-biological origin, the PPA was specifically called out as a solution to uh, what's often referred to as the carbon intensity problem. So if you have a hydrogen asset which is running on purely renewable energy no one will dispute that's green however what if you're running on uh, a combination of renewable energy and very low carbon energy from a grid say well the eu has ruled that those projects are going to be still counted as officially green under these new fuel rules which opens the door for hydrogen ppas to explode in many markets particularly the french market which is which doesn't have huge renewable capacity, but does have incredible nuclear capacity, which is a form of fuel with a very low marginal carbon cost. So the case for a green hydrogen PPA in France and other markets just became a lot more viable. Thank you for that, Oliver, and also thank you for contributing to the report. Oh, it was nothing. This is a 24-page report. I contributed about half a page. It's been uh, a combined effort and hugely on the shoulders of Chendwa here. So thank you very much for your insights. No, thank you for having me, Oliver. As usual, it's been a pleasure to be here. That is it for the week. I'd like to thank Chendwa once again and Zach for the, both of their contributions. It's our pleasure. You can find the... PPA Outlook report on the Inspiratio website. It will be linked in the show notes. Open to all Inspiratio subscribers and also if even if you're not a subscriber, you can get hold of this one just by putting in a few details. Uh, we really are excited about this and want to get that out there and read. That's it from us this week. We'll be back with more insights, more news next week. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>